0: wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey readers, I'm Anne Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 18. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader, what should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading, and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Before we do that, I'm asking you readers to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast on iTunes. Just go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash iTunes and hit subscribe. Doing that ensures that you won't miss out on future episodes, so take a minute and check your settings. Today's guest is Jessica Turner. Jessica lives in Nashville with her husband and three kids, where she works full-time and blogs at themomcreative.com. She's the author of The Fringe Hours, Making Time for You, and My Fringe Hours, Discovering a More Creative and Fulfilled Life. Of all the guests I've talked to, Jessica's the most consistent with her picks. We have a lot of fun talking about compelling stories and character-driven plots in her favorite genre. She also hates a book that many listeners adore, and she's not afraid to say why. Let's get to it. Jessica, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks so much for having me, Anne. Oh,
1: it's my pleasure. Jessica, tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Well, I live in Nashville with my husband, Matthew, and we have three kids. Elias is almost eight, Adeline's almost five, and then I have a 15-month-old little boy named Ezra. I work full-time outside of the home doing content strategy and social media for a large healthcare institution. I blog at The Mom Creative, and I write books. So I'm busy, and I love to read. Yeah. hours, if you will.
1: (laughs) You do sound busy. So tell us a little bit about how reading fits into your life right now.
0: So reading is my favorite thing to do and always has been my favorite thing to do. Um, And so I really am intentional about making time for it. I found that last year, last year I released two books, The Fringe Hours, Making Time for You and the gift book version, My Fringe Hours. And While doing that, while birthing a baby and, you know, not sleeping (laughs) for that first year, Mm -hmm. I found that reading really got pushed to the side. And so 2016, my word of the year has been rest. And with that has come a lot more intention in making time for reading. And so it's crazy. Like we're recording this year in the middle of April and I have already read six books, which is the most I have read in years. And we're halfway through the year. So um, it's been really, really good. I've been, you know, reading on my lunch breaks and making sure that I have a book with me so that when I do have time that I can read and, um, saying no to things so that I can kind of have that time for myself and do something that I love. And that really fills me up. And lately that's been reading a lot of books.
1: Is that pure pleasure coping strategy or both? And,
0: you know, I think it's a little bit of both, although it's certainly more pleasure. That said, when I am not reading, my husband will say to me, go and get a book. You have not had a book in your hand in a while and it's showing. And so it definitely does play out in kind of my emotions and how I'm feeling if I'm not reading, but it's mostly for pleasure. That said, I'm certainly blogging about the books that I'm reading. And so sometimes it feels a little bit like work, but I'm not ever reading just so that I can blog about something. At least I would say 95% of the time that is not the case. So it's mostly pleasure.
1: Good. I'm glad to hear it. And I resonate a lot with that. Jessica, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate and what you've been reading lately. And we'll talk about what you should read next. Let's start with your favorites. Tell me three books you love.
0: Okay, so this was hard for me as I was thinking about it mm-hmm. because I wanted to give you kind of a cross-section of books that I love. And so a couple of the books that I'm going to share are books that I have not read in a while. But that whenever people say, what should I read? I always seem to say those titles. And so I feel like that's a good sign.
1: Well, and I think it's a good that sign okay? that they've – Yes, because they've stuck with you. If they've right, stuck with you for I years. I don't go into
0: like the minutia of them, you know? Like I had to go back and kind of look at – the descriptions of the book, because I couldn't tell you all the little bits about it. And I was nervous that you were going to ask me lots. Of questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won't ask you what happened on page 76. I promise. Okay, thank you. Okay, so the first book is The Shoemaker's Wife by Adriana Trigiotti. Have mm-hmm. you read that book?
1: I've read half of that book. Why
0: have you only read half of it? I loved this book. I think it is. Um, so let me give you a little backstory. It was a
1: It was how much time I had in my life for that specific book at that specific time. It is a long book. I intend to come back to it.
0: Yes. It's a long book. I think it's like 450-ish pages, uh, but it spans – World War One and World War Two, And it starts out in Italy, and it goes to France, and then it comes over to the US. Um, and it's this epic love story. And I loved this book. It I remember that I read it in like a day and a half. I think I read it over the holidays. And it is just one of those Epic love stories, historical fiction, great settings and um fascinating period, plus Italy, and then the story of the shoemaker's wife, so she marries a shoemaker, and kind of the story about shoes in there as well was just really fascinating. I will tell you that I went back and read several other books by Adriana, and I didn't like any of them, even close to as much as I liked the shoemaker's wife so. Um, I sort of think it's like Kristen Hannah in the Nightingale, which mm-hmm. was the first book I read of hers, and everyone says it's her best. And I feel that is true for the shoemaker's wife and Adriana. I don't think any of her other books are even close to as good as that one. Interesting. So that is my first. I definitely encourage you to go back and finish it. Well, thank you for that. What's yes. book two? Book two is City of Dreams. Have you read City of Dreams? I have
1: not i never okay. heard of City of Dreams. And it's funny
0: because I went back and looked on Amazon and I was shocked that it didn't have more reviews. Um, and it is the first in the series. And I've not read any of the other books in the series. I think because when I read it, the other books weren't out. Like I read it right when it first came out. And it's been out – Gosh, probably 8, 10 years now. Mm-hmm. And it's by Beverly – I think you say Swirling is maybe how you would say her last name. But it is such a cool, again, historical fiction book. It takes place starting in like the mid-1600s in New Amsterdam. So before New York was New York. But it spans a of generations and goes to early Manhattan and it's about this family of doctors and apocrypharies and how they kind of do medicine so it's really fascinating reading about medicine in the 1600s and what like I remember reading about a blood transfusion where they hooked up a dead (laughs) body to an alive person right someone who was living and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't and that's because blood type but they didn't know it was blood type for why it would sometimes work and so the author I remember reading that she took from actual medical journals as she was writing this book, um, which was really fascinating. I've never read anything like it. I loved reading the multiple periods and just the span of this family story, how they all were into medicine in different ways was really fascinating to me. As I was thinking about this and then found that there were other books in the series, I need to go back and read them because it, she was such a good storyteller about this family and this these the span of time.
1: Mm-hmm. That sounds interesting. What's book three?
0: Book three. Okay, so we're the theme that we are seeing here is that I'm a huge historical fiction person. So book three is my most recent read. I read it this year. I cannot stop talking about it. I think it will be my number one book of the year, and that is The Kitchen House. Have you read The Kitchen House? I have. Oh, it is so fantastic. It is. It is a hard read in that it is very emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, It it takes place during um, slavery in the early 1800s before the Civil War in Virginia. It goes back and forth between two points of view. Bell, who is a... slave or I'm sorry she's an indentured servant Um, and what's really interesting is she her family comes over on a boat of the slave master and her family dies and so she is left in the care of this slave master and so she is white and she's brought in to work um, in the house and then the other main character of the book is Belle and she is um, the illegitimate daughter of the slave master but she is black she's a slave and the chapters alternate between their two perspectives over the course of 30 years so you see this indentured servant grow up and really deal with um the racism of the period and uh just so fascinating beautiful hard heart-wrenching i'm still thinking about the characters and the Mm -hmm. period and what that was must have been like i mean just just really really good writing and storytelling and memorable and phenomenal just a phenomenal book
1: Yes. Have you read the next one, Glory Over Everything yet?
0: Yes. So I I haven't read it yet. It's on my next stand. Good. I loved it as well. I and I think it was I was really fortunate in that I've read The Kitchen House. I was obsessed with it. I emailed the author and said, Hey, I feature books on my site. I was wondering if you have any arcs available for your new book, because I saw that Glory Over Everything was coming out and she graciously sent me one. And so I read them back to back. And you don't have to have read The Kitchen House to enjoy Glory Over Everything, but it adds so much if you have read it, and it's wonderful as well um, in a lot of different ways, um, and still great storytelling. The Kitchen House I loved a little more, I think, because the main characters were both women, mm-hmm. and one of the main characters in Glory Over Everything is a man, and I think that I just you know didn't enjoy his character in the same way I enjoyed you know reading about the women. Um, but yes fantastic. Very satisfying, particularly after reading The Kitchen House. I think you'll really enjoy it.
1: Wonderful. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, Jessica, tell us a book you hate.
0: Oh, I'm afraid to say it, Anne, because I know a lot of your listeners are going to think I'm crazy.
1: (laughs) Well, that sounds like a wonderful discussion.
0: Yes. So I did not
1: care for Big Little Lies Mm -hmm. at all tell us more. Now that has been on the podcast as a, I think it was my recommendation to James and oh. Bradshaw. Okay. I did mm-hmm. not listen to
0: that episode. Well, I was not a fan of it. So I started a book club at my office because I'm really big on finding ways to be in community with your colleagues outside of the office and in different ways. So we'll do potluck and we'll go out to lunch. And so now we started a book club and it meets every other month. And this was not a book that I brought to the table. Another colleague did. And we try to do different types of books every month. So it was a book unlike any other ones that we had previously read. And I just did not care for the style of storytelling. I wanted to know who had died the whole time, which I guess is a good thing. But I just. Okay. So like-
1: go back and tell us a little more about the book. Okay. So no spoilers, just the yeah. you're in a bookstore and you ask the bookseller and you say, what's this book about? And you tell them.
0: Um, I tell them that it is about a small town where um, there is a murder that happens or not a murder. There's a death that happens um, at the beginning of the book. You don't know who died um, and it happens at a school. It's not a child. It's at an event where all the parents are and the whole book kind of uncovers all the relationships of the parents, mostly the mothers, that are at the school um, and their children and their children's relationships, and it ends with kind of finding out what happened at this event and who died. Right. So the whole time you're wondering, is that is that an okay synopsis of yeah, it? Yeah,
1: that sounds good. Except it's in Australia, and so if you're yes. American, you Australia. think it's kind of adorable how they keep talking about the kindy moms.
0: No, I didn't even think it was adorable. <laughs> You might. Maybe. If you don't list it in your hate column. Right. If okay. you don't list it in your hate column. Although I did hear several colleagues listen to the audiobook and they did enjoy the accents um, in the book. I but. can see that. So tell us about your reaction <gasps> yeah, to this book. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I just thought it was indulgent. I sort of felt like when I read the book, like Simon Cowell, when he would <laughs> critique people on American Idol and he would just comment that it was indulgent or it was like you were doing karaoke or, you know, like... Why? I just, I don't know. I just don't get the fascination. Like I have no desire to read any more of that author's books. Um, I don't know, Anne. I just, I just didn't dig it. And you want to know what else? If you think about my favorite books, the commonality, right, was all historical fiction. And I do think that for whatever reason, most books that take place in the here and now, I don't enjoy as much. So that could have also been part of it, although certainly I have read other books that took place in recent years that I enjoyed just fine. But that one, I just... It might have been because there was so much hype, so I had such great expectations for it. And it Mm -hmm. took me so long to get into it that had I not been reading it for book club, I would have given up on it. Because like you, I'm a big fan of if you're not enjoying it, life is too short, read something else. And I think I would have put it aside. I did at the end have some satisfaction but it took me so long to get there that I just didn't think it was
1: worth the time it took to get there Mm -hmm. so you're right that that is a contemporary novel it's not (laughs) historical like your favorites but I think it's another step removed on top of that like Moriarty's tone in that one is very it's snarky and it's dark and I she can be like that in her other books. But I thought the book does deal with some heavy, heavy themes like domestic violence is a big one. And I thought it was the kind of thing where we can talk about this serious issue, but we're going to have to make inappropriate jokes about it. Um, Right. And then I remember it's been a year and a half or so since I read this. Um, I read it when it first came out. And I remember that the structure was unusual, too. Like there was an almost Greek chorus of townspeople who would there would be bold font yes. and it would say the right. city said with right. really um, Simon Cowell kind of commentary on what was yes. unfolding. That's
0: a great yeah. way to describe okay. it. But
1: yeah, definitely one of these things is not like the other with your. Yes. right, Your, your books you've listed here. <laughs>
0: that is the truth.
1: <laughs> Jessica, what are you reading now?
0: So I am just finishing The Forgetting Time, which is brand new. It's by Sharon Guskin. And I don't know how I first heard of it, but I – however it came across my list of books to read, I put it on my Amazon wish list and my husband got it for me. And I literally read it in two days, could not put it down 350 pages. It is a fascinating topic. It does take place here in the here and now. Mm -hmm. It is about a woman named Janie who has a son named Noah who's four. And he like hates baths. Like will go weeks without taking a bath because he screams so uncontrollably that he is so fearful of water. He talks about – guns. He talks about Harry Potter. He knows how to score a baseball game, like all things that he should not know anything about. And so his mother takes him to a psychologist and long story short, and this doesn't really ruin anything about the book, takes him to a man whose research is in young children who recount another life. Who what? basically are experience it, who have experienced uh-huh. reincarnation, uh-huh. and that that is the story of this boy. Like this boy is recounting somebody else's story, mm-hmm. um, and so it is their journey of kind of finding healing and and experiencing that. But what makes the book really interesting is that in between the chapters are medical journals um, from two psychologists who actually do this research today. That's fun. Um, so that was really interesting to read about. And something else that was really interesting is this: the book takes place in America, but a lot of these documented cases are in um, countries like India,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is interesting because, you know, they believe in reincarnation. And so is it that those families are more accepting that when their children say something out of the ordinary, that that could be what it is versus in the States where we just think, oh, our child's being cute and saying something mm-hmm. that doesn't really make sense. Um Just really, really interesting, Um really fast read. I couldn't put it down. I really, really, I think it's this author's first book. She just did a phenomenal job of telling the story of this family and and the family who ultimately um noah the boy that he is you know reincarnating from they they go do research to find who who he was and in that family story it's really really well written
1: so do we flip back and forth in time as we explore that past life <laughs> no not really because and
0: i don't think this ruins anything to say this um the boy that passed um had it had only happened like 8 years previous okay And so it's all taking place in present day, but the things that the boy is saying, you know, happened eight years Mm -hmm. previous. Mm -hmm. Um, So no, there's no flipping back and forth. It's all taking place right now as they're kind of unpacking this story. But it really reminded me, and this might be fun if, if we could find the clip for the show notes, there was a story on the Today Show last year about this, about a boy who recounted all of these things from i think like the 20s or 30s and they believed that he was telling the story of a hollywood like talent agent or something like that from the 30s and it was about and i wonder if if the researcher that was in that Today show story is one of the ones quoted in this book Mm -hmm. um so it, it was a really fun read really different from anything i've ever read and um i've really enjoyed it
1: interesting jessica is there anything you want to be different in your reading life
0: You know, I wish that I loved reading on a Kindle more. Is that silly? Because I feel like if I enjoyed reading on a Kindle more, I would maybe read more. Mm -hmm. Um, And the same is true for audiobooks. Like I wish that I would get on the audiobook bandwagon because, again, I feel like I would be reading even more. Mm -hmm. But those are two things that I just love. The feel of a book in my hands. And mm-hmm. so I'll go through sports and seasons where, oh, I'll notice that I'm reading more on a Kindle and that I do seem to read a little more because I've got it on my phone and I can kind of pick up a book where I maybe otherwise couldn't have like a 350 page book in my hand. Mm-hmm. But I tend to keep going back to those hard copy books. So I, I relate think to consuming that. Consuming books in other fashions is something that I wish I was a little better at doing because I do enjoy reading so much. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing, Anne, that I wish is that I read more nonfiction. I think because I'm a writer in the nonfiction space, all of my friends who are writers are writing nonfiction books, uh, but I really gravitate toward reading fiction. And so if I finish a book and I'm going to pick up another one, I generally am going to pick up another fiction book. And I think that I would... um, appreciate what is said in nonfiction books Mm -hmm. and enjoy them but they just take me longer to read like I can't sit and read 200 pages of a nonfiction book like I can a fiction book and so because it takes me longer I think I don't want to do it Um, so I feel like I'm missing out a bit by not reading more nonfiction
1: okay well we will see what we can find for you Jessica we're going to take a hard look at your picks and find you some new titles for your list after the break readers welcome back Jessica, of all the people I've talked to on the show, your picks have the most in common, which is kind of fun. And I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. So we have strong historical fiction, absolutely steeped in time and place. Very realistic, very detailed. And while your current read isn't the historical, it still has that realistic, detailed, plot-driven. Does that ring true?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I I... I kind of consider myself a bit of a historical fiction snob because –
1: Well, you ought to be after reading all those books.
0: (laughs) It's like the author has to have spent years researching the topic for me to enjoy the book. So I think that is very, very accurate. And you're right. Like the Forgetting Time, the fact that it has those excerpts from real research I think is why I've enjoyed it so much. So you're dead on.
1: Excellent. So I'm also noticing that your novels span many years and even many generations. And that those longer time frames really let the reader see how the characters themselves and the world they live in change and develop over time. So you're walking alongside the character not just for one big transformative event that happened on like April 14th, or, you know, whatever, some moment in time, but for a much longer chunk of life. Yeah, that's totally true. And even your the forgetting time, you're getting a span, not just a, this thing happened when he was four. Right, right. I'm also noticing that your books are long and your favorites, um, the ones I read and the one I didn't especially, like the criticism on them, you know, there's people that love them. The people that hate them say they're too long, too wordy, too bulky, and yet they're on your favorites list.
0: And that's so interesting, Anne, that you say that because generally if a book is over 400 pages, I tend to put it
1: off. Really? Oh, that yeah. really surprises me. Yeah. I, based on your it, favorites.
0: Right, right. That is funny. But it seems like those bigger books, like one that's on my list that I think is going to probably fall in the same category is The Perfume Collector. And mm. I've been kind of avoiding picking it up because it's longer. But I think I'm going to love it for all of those same reasons.
1: Well, my guess is that you really have patience for those books, those long books, if you feel, whether you're, you know, still getting ready to start or you're on page 10, that it's going to pay off for you.
0: right. Right.
1: Okay. So I'm not afraid of going long on the page count here, and I guess I'm just going to have to sell you on it to make you pick it up.
0: that's, That's true, because I will say Outlander is a book that I have had for several years, probably five or six on my shelf, and I think I would love it. I love the show. However, it is so long that I just can't pick it up
1: just read three pages. Or like, um, my friend, cause I used to think like time travel and Highlanders like that is right? stupid. <laughs> but my friend had him and she's like, Oh, just, you know, just read the introduction. It doesn't sound so bad. So I sat down with the 20th anniversary edition at her kitchen table and started reading the introduction where she explains how she started writing this weird historical fiction, time travel novel that she never, that she was too serious a scholar to ever, you know, consider right. writing. And I was like, Oh, you're funny and fun. And I like you. And I, by the time I finished the introduction, I was like, can I just take this home with me? And she was like, no, I'm reading it. Get your own. But, Get your own. Yeah. Just sit down and start reading. Okay. But that won't be your, um. that's your bonus half pick. Okay. <laughs> Since you chose it yourself, <laughs> that would totally be cheating.
0: Okay. Right. We are going,
1: to- oh yeah, we're going to stretch for you on the nonfiction, but not on the history. We're going to stay right in your wheelhouse there. Okay. Realistic, character driven, that span years. Okay. Book one is Angle of Repose by Wallace Stegner. What do you know? Nothing. Okay. Big, fat, sweeping historical novel. Spans four generations. Um, It won a bunch of awards. So it's a Pulitzer winner, and it's considered one of the great novels of the American West. But if that's all I told you about it, if that was all I heard about it, I would never want to read it. So I'm going to try to do you a little better. It centers around a well-educated young woman from a good family in New England, like late 1800s. So she's smart and cultivated and talented. She's an artist. She really should be a society girl, but she's too shy for all that. But she falls in love with this boy who really gets her like they connect like she's only connected with her best girlfriend in her life and she falls in love and gets married and follows him to the middle of nowhere so he can work in the huge uncharted mines of the American West because he's an engineer that's he's the nerdy Harvard boy who that's all he ever dreamed of doing and she goes along for the ride and she does it very willingly but over time she begins to feel like she's not on a grand adventure but really that she's in exile stuck In the middle of nowhere with her husband, the minor, and she writes back and forth through many, many years to her best girlfriend back East, who's living the life that she always imagined she would. And that relationship that could have been sustaining for her begins to have a more insidious effect over time. So this novel has a really interesting structure in the book. This woman's grandson is the historian who inherited her letters and he's fascinated by his grandparents' life and he's cataloging her writings and poring over them and trying to read between the lines and piece together what their life was really like and what really happened back then. And it, it went wrong and he's trying to figure out what happened and imagine what that looked like. And so it's about coal mining in the American West, but it's also about what makes a marriage work and what makes a marriage fail and how friendships can be strong or how they can really be your undoing. And it's just so interesting. Pick it up and start reading. See what you think. It is 672 pages, um, but it, it's sweeping and four generations and that takes time. Yeah. How does that sound it's- to you?
0: It sounds really good. It definitely sounds like a book that I would enjoy. Have you seen the show When Calls the Heart? No, I haven't. On the Hallmark Channel? (laughs) Okay, so a little cheesy, right? Um, But it takes place at a coal mining town, and some of the things that you were describing – really remind me of that show. And I enjoy that show. It feels a little Anne of Green Gables to Uh me and it takes place in a coal mining town. And the girl that comes is from out east and a very affluent family and just some of the things that kind of rang similar. And so I think I would really enjoy it. The 600 plus pages feels a little overwhelming, but I think I would enjoy it. I'm liking what you're
1: saying. Well, if we could get you reading on that Kindle, you wouldn't be able to see that it looks like a doorstop.
0: Right. That's the truth. <laughs> but yes. Maybe that's where I should buy it.
1: Well, The Coal Mining was kind of a, uh, I don't know, great novel of the American West. Just doesn't sound, <clears throat> it sounds like something my grandfather would want. Right. But, exactly. But- Once I started reading, I was like, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to be interested in this. And I'm glad you've already had the experience of finding out that, oh, a coal mining town. Like, interesting. Who knew? Who knew? Exactly. Okay. Book two, Change of Pace. It is Hotel on the Corner of Bitter and Sweet by Jamie Ford. So if Angle of Repose is your big, fat Pulitzer winner with gorgeous prose, this is your, like, Page-turning, story-driven novel that is thoroughly researched and very well done. But I could see myself reading it on an airplane. So very different in feel. Do you know anything about this one?
0: I don't.
1: Okay. The, well, you mentioned the Nightingale, so hopefully that's a promising start because this is another World War II novel, and there I have love been World War II novels. Well, then you're like rolling like, in the. What's the expression? you no that no that expression about the pig is inappropriate, but but. <laughs> There have been so many historical novels that during World War II in the past I few know, years.
0: I know. I know. And I feel like I have read a lot of them. I'm like, what is wrong with me reading so much about this period where there was just so much despair and hopelessness? And I don't know, but I'm really fascinated by that particular period in time. I think because my grandfather was a soldier during World War II. hmm And wrote love letters to my grandmother. And we kind of have this sweeping story in our own family about that period. And so, um, yes, World War II, great start, Anne. Okay, keep going. Sorry, I'll stop talking.
1: Well, there have been so many the past few years that there really is a rich variety to choose from. So it's not just you. It's what's in the bookstore. Right. Um, Okay, so the plot for this specific novel depends on an episode in American history that many Americans, myself included, before I read this book, when it came out, just had no clue about. The story is set in motion for the reader when the older protagonist, when he's grown old, finds an old box of his stuff in the attic from that are artifacts from like what happens in the heart of the story. And it reminds him of what happened to him way back then during World War Two. And he's looking back, sad and wistfully for his own sake, but also he feels like he owes it to his son to tell him this story of love and loss, who he just has no clue that his father experienced this. And it's really important to him to pass that on to the person he loves and also the next generation. So the meat of the action is set in 1940s Seattle, where ethnicities just don't mix. They live in different neighborhoods, work different jobs, go to different schools. And this little boy at the heart of our story, well, he's 12, so maybe not so little, little he's Chinese and he's put in a situation where he happens to break out of that like serious, um, demarcation. And he's put in a situation where he meets a Japanese girl his age. And these two immediately form an instant bond. Like, Oh, I've, you know, it's you, I've been looking for you. And they just really save each other from what's going on, both in their own stormy families and just the general climate of, um, unrest and fear during that time. But, Then the girl and her family are rounded up and sent out of the city to a Japanese internment camp because the American government back then deemed its own citizens of Japanese origin to be a threat to our safety. And that is 100% true. It's based on real events and it is heartfelt and sad and beautiful. It has the characteristics you like, like compelling story, engaging characters that grow and change over many years, but it's also an easy reading novel apart from the box of Kleenex, like the text on the page is very easy to curl up on the couch and read for hours. How does that sound to you?
0: And you're just hitting it out of the park.
1: Well, you haven't read it yet, Jessica. No,
0: I you don't, even, you don't even know. It's so funny because one of the other books that I considered listing for my three was a book that I read recently called The Girl Who Wrote in Silk. Yes.
1: Have you read that book? Well, it's on my nightstand and I've read 50 oh, pages. <laughs> There's a theme here.
0: Fantastic. It's so fantastic. But it it goes back and forth between two different periods, maybe like. I don't know, 1800s, early 1900s, and then present day. But it's a story of a young Chinese girl in Seattle, Portland, I don't know, somewhere Mm -hmm. out there, Mm -hmm. kind of the same thing. And it was the first time that I had really read about this horrible period in America and how we um, treated people of Chinese and Japanese descent. And I loved that book. And so um, I think I'll really like this one, too.
1: Good. Right. Did you feel like, where was I in history class? Did right. We even well, talk I, about this.
0: Yes. Well, I sort of felt like always in history, we would only get to about World War II and uh-huh. then like we ran Me out too. of time, yeah. you know? And so, yeah, I don't, yeah, I had like not read anything about that whole experience at all. And The Girl Who Wrote in Silk um, was kind of my first book about that. And then I read Everything I Never Told You, which Mm -hmm. also deals with some of those same themes as well. So
1: this seems to be- That is not one I would have picked for you. What did you think?
0: I thought it was okay. I ranked it four stars. It's one Uh of the books that I've read this month in my six books that I've read. Um, I liked it. Um, I didn't love it, but- I can see why a lot of people have liked it. Mm -hmm. I I wasn't sure that it deserved
1: all of the awards that it has gotten. (laughs) Well, it's not really to your taste, I don't think. Yes, right. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. I had, um, when I think of that book, I think about the storytelling and structure. And for a tiny second, I forgot about like the deep rooted themes of identity and foreignness. So I'm glad you brought that up. Mm -hmm. Okay, excellent. We're going to continue your history lesson. Branch out a little. Book three is Dead Wake by Eric Larson. What do you know about this? Nothing. Really? Nothing. Okay. So exactly. have you read? <laughs> have you read anything by him? Well, you know, it's that thing where you feel like you know a book, so you notice it everywhere. Right. Right. And yeah, that's how I feel about this no, one. No, and I have. I'm familiar with it, so I see it everywhere. But right. if you're not, then and you I don't
0: read it anything by Eric Larson. I do have Devil in the White City. I think I even put it on my list of books that I wanted to read in 2016 because I've had it for so long, but I've not read anything by him.
1: Well, here's what you need to know about Eric Larson. He writes nonfiction narrative that reads like novels, 100% true popular histories that are just really compelling and plot driven. So the subtitle of this one is The Last Crossing of the Lusitania. So So that tells you a lot right there. And we're going to go into this one through the back door. Larson wrote a recent post over at Lit Hub where he talked about how challenging it was to find a topic for his novels for the kind of nonfiction he writes. Because he does, this one is totally typical for him, big, deep, historical, I almost said novels. But they're not novels. They're 100% true history. But it's not the kind of stuff you read in high school or in college. Right. When he writes a story, because right now he said that he's in the dark country of no ideas. Dead Wake is out. He doesn't have a new topic and he's looking and it's hard for him to find something good, which as a reader should make you feel confident like the bar is high. He's not just writing something because it's due. Right. Um, He's looking for something that is fascinating because it's going to take up about four years of his life and it has to sustain his interest for four years. It has to have a built in narrative engine that drives the story along and makes you the reader want to keep turning the pages. There has to be a deep and rich and interesting base of archival materials like letters and telegrams and stuff like that. Because he says, you just can't fake that. Like you need human interest and texture and you can't just go, oh, well, novelists just make this up. So why can't I like that doesn't work? Right. And it has to be complex enough and kind of weird enough to let him feel confident that he's the only one. Like there aren't going to be, you know, 10 books about the Lusitania with that same angle hitting the shelves in 2015 or whatever it came out. So we all know kind of the story from history class. The Lusitania was sunk by the U-boats and America entered the war. Like, that's what happened. Huge passenger ship destroyed, like the Titanic light is how it often gets described. But he said what really drew him in were the details of the sinking itself, which he said were completely absent from anything he had ever encountered. Like, the ship sank in exactly 18 minutes. There were two explosions, not just one. He said there were weird details, like while they were trying to launch the lifeboats, one fully loaded boat fell on top of another and he said if he'd known some of those details early on he wouldn't have waffled so long about writing this book because he did feel like the Lusitania was um, a more popular topic from some of the other things he'd done I did this on audio it, so you could you could branch out on multiple levels you there said, you, said you wanted to try audio books he does a really interesting job of taking you back way before the actual sinking of the ship and foreseeing several years after to show you what happened who was on that boat, what the climate was, why did it matter? All about all the people who just who thought they got lucky at the last minute and got their free ticket onto the Lusitania, all the people who bailed and why they didn't end up like sailing towards disaster. I don't want to tell you too much even though you already know what happens like the ship sinks. Right. But the whole climate, it's almost like everything I never told you and that he uncovers everything happening in the minds of the people on the boat in the minds of the people who are making decisions that absolutely affected the fate of the boat because uh the lusitania was almost a safety when it actually did get torpedoed and there's a lot of debate over like why were they even in that place like were they put right. there on purpose was that you know was america angling to do that was that incompetence and he has theories and he'll explore them to you and yeah and then that aftermath and then what happened on the boat during the disaster I'm amazed at how much he knows considering that the boat went down and I would have thought so much of the communication sunk with it, but he has so much to work with and it's fascinating how he brings it to life. Cool. Not just, it's not like a, I wonder if personal growth is a hard category for you because it doesn't have a, it doesn't have that built-in narrative engine. Right. I don't think you'll have that problem here. Good. Well, maybe I'll start with this one instead of Devil in the White City. Well, I haven't read Devil in the White City, so... Whichever one you start with, let me know what you think. Okay. (laughs) Jessica, what do you think you'll read next? Gosh, I don't know. Now I feel
0: like I want to read one of these next. Um, I think I'll probably start with Hotel on the Corner of Bitter and Sweet. I think I'll start there.
1: I can't wait to hear what you think.
0: Because I feel like of the ones that you recommended, that is the one that I could – get through the quickest mm-hmm. and I think I'm going to love it. And so then I'm going to be like, okay, well, Anne gave me one really good recommendation. What else should I read from her list? So I think I'll start there.
1: Well, you will definitely get through that one the quickest. I'm
0: really excited. Thank
1: you so much for these recommendations. It was my pleasure. Thanks for talking books with me today.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Hey everyone, I love chatting with Jessica about why she loves the book she does and I hope she enjoys my picks for her. If you have a recommendation for what she should read next, go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 18 and leave your picks in comments. You'll find the full show notes right there, including a list of all the titles we discussed today. You can connect more with Jessica at her blog, themomcreative.com. Jessica is also on Twitter and Instagram at Jessica N. Turner. Before we go, don't forget, go to com slash iTunes and make sure you are subscribed to this podcast. Thanks again so much for listening. If you are on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Anne with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Readers, that's it for this episode. As Reiner Maria Rilke says, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long.